A special welcome if you're new here today, uh, just to kind of bring you up to date. At the beginning of the summer, we jumped into a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we stepped out of it over the, about the last four weeks or so to focus on really a vision and calling us back to discipleship as we head into the fall. But today, I want to jump back into the text, and I want to put Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 on the screen. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pray as we begin here. Look how it goes, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the members than your whole body would go into hell. Let me just pray here. Father, we just want to pause and we give this sermon again to you that uh, your son preached on a hill. And as he talked to people, it was so profound. But Lord, it was also meant for us today in this year, in this place. And you want to speak to us. So Lord, we would invite your spirit to be a part of this process here this morning. So I commit it to you. These things we pray in your name. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount is one of those sermons where Jesus was challenging his disciples to live lives differently. And this phrase, to live within the kingdom of heaven. Now that phrase, kingdom of heaven, or, or comparable kingdom of God, is a way of living that's really upside down compared to how the world lives. I think of the early... Verses in that, blessed are the poor in spirit. The world says, become independent. And the kingdom says, live a life of dependency on the king, on the real king. Blessed are the meek, the willingness to turn the other cheek and sometimes take things. And the, the, king, the, the world says, no, revenge. And the kingdom says, no, don't worry about it. God's in control. Even blessed are when people persecute you. That one's so hard. And when people revile against you. The world calls for justice and getting even and sometimes even getting ahead. And the kingdom says, trust me. Trust God. Don't worry about it in the midst of suffering. Matter of fact, we can actually have joy in the midst of suffering. See, that kind of living really makes no sense to the world. They think that we're going to get trampled on when you live this upside-down way. Now, back in August, we started a new section. And understand that this section, as he just makes a subtle shift, is really not any easier. I think it's actually harder and more difficult at times to even swallow. You see, he made a subtle shift, and he began to look at six different behaviors that are in the world, and that he's challenging his disciples and these people to be different, to live differently. And the first one, we already looked at that, was the issue of anger. And if you're angry at somebody, and what you do with that. But the next five, listen to these, lust, divorce, lying, revenge, 
and hatred. See, Jesus is calling for a radical reorientation of our lives. Now, I need to pause something and point something out that we can fall into a trap when we start looking at these specific behaviors. And it kind of goes like this. We take the word grace, and I think we exploit its meaning at times. And this is how we do it. We use this phrase, grace covers a multitude of sins. And it does. But this is kind of, I think, at times where we can go. I have anger. Grace covers it. You know what? The other person has to forgive me. God sure does. And, and I really don't have to worry about if I'm angry. Or maybe the second one of those six lusts that we're going to cover today. Grace covers it, doesn't it? Don't worry about it. Or, or divorce. Grace covers, don't worry about it. Lying. Hey, don't make it a big deal. Grace covers it. You get the point. But here's the challenge, because as Jesus comes along and he preaches this, he actually begins to raise the bar. He doesn't just say, let it go, don't worry about it. He actually raises the standard. Now here's the deal. The standard is not necessarily an external standard, it's within our hearts. See, this really isn't about legalism. We're trying harder. This is about a heart change where one walks, and, and we've been using this picture of depending on the Spirit of God to work in our lives and to live radically different than the world. Uh, you understand, it keeps coming back to the heart. But look at verse 27. Let me just put that one alone up on the screen. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. In my role as a pastor, there are times that I have a ringside seat into people's lives. And it is so joyful. Um, you watch somebody bowing their knees before Christ and giving their lives to Christ for the first time, or even watching people submitting to the Holy Spirit, and you see a, a transformation from the inside out. And, and I, I, get, I get the opportunity of being up close at times when, when that happens with people. And another time for me is even, at, at times I get the best seat in the house for a wedding. Now, I'm not seated, okay, but I get to watch a couple walk down the aisle, and many of them walking toward Christ as they're doing it, and you see them walking fully devoted to each other and wanting to obey Christ and walk with him, and it's so much fun. I've had a couple pastors say they'd rather do funerals than weddings. And I go, what's the deal about that? Um, I'm not sure what they would, why they would say that. But there are other times in my role where I would have to admit that it just drains me, it's discouraging, and there's been more than a few times, if you talk to my wife, I just want to go, let me just go work at Starbucks or Caribou or something like that. <laughs> and that's really true. I've been at those places. But let me just give you an illustration where it's so hard. Years ago, 
had a couple come in, and I'll call them Jack and Jill. And this wasn't from this area even, and this couple comes in, and they're looking for help in their marriage. And once in a while, what I end up doing is when I'm meeting with a couple in marriage stuff, I'll ask to meet with them separately. And on this occasion, I asked to meet with Jack alone, and Jack comes in, and he comes through the door, and you could see there was just this disturbed look on his face. It was just so emotional. There was just sorrow in his eyes. And he sat down, and next few minutes, he mustered up enough courage to admit that he was having an affair with another woman. That act alone tells me that the Holy Spirit was working in him. But the next step was that he needed to confess this to his wife. Had never told her. It wasn't out in the open. And what, we, what I did is, for a couple of days later, I set up a meeting where he, him and his wife would come into my office and he would reveal to her his sin. And understand, in that revelation, there is an explosion that takes place. So I set a date to do that. Uh, by the way, what I try to do, if I've had to do that a number of times, and I'll have another woman ready uh, outside the door, basically, to come on in after the explosion goes off. And unfortunately, Deanna's had to be a part of that a couple times with me. And they came in, he confesses his sin to her, and yes, there was an explosion. There was another lady that was ready to meet, and she came in, and Jack stepped out, and we began to talk through the issues of what was going on and just the emotional junk that comes out at that moment when the bomb goes off. And you know what? I don't like those times as a pastor. I, I despise them. But here's the discovery when you begin to look at the sins that so entangle people's lives that we're talking about today. I, I find that so many people are clueless when it comes to adultery. And it's so frustrating for me. You, you watch television, you watch movies, and they treat adultery like it's no big deal. I come to tell you, it is. Years later, the one that's been sinned against will be watching a television show and it will jump out in the show and there will be an emotional trigger and a bomb that goes off and it can happen years after the fact. And here's the other challenge. In the church culture, we tend to trivialize it as well and we kind of say, oh, grace will cover it. Forgive and get on with it. Grace covers that explosion. Uh, but I'm standing here today just telling you from experience, having to deal with it way too many times, is that rebuilding trust, when that happens, takes years. Years. And people can't sweep it under the carpet. It just doesn't work. Now, here's the reality. There's many of us in this room that have been touched by this reality in some form. Maybe it's parents or siblings or friends that have gone through it. And you just have a taste of what, how devastating this sin is. 
this stuff is so important. But let me dig a little bit more in the text where we got to go here just to, to deal with this, one sense, this bomb, and there's other pieces to it. And Jesus widens it. Look at the phrase in verse 27. You have heard that it was said. Now, understand, there was rules in that culture when adultery took place. And, but what Jesus does, he widens it, and he begins to connect adultery with the issue of lust. See, we want to put adultery in a little box and kind of leave it there. But what Jesus does, he goes after the heart, and he's going farther with the people that was sitting in front of him. See, I, I think this. People, or Jesus really understood the hearts of people. And he knew that some people have a, a certain belief, and, and it kind of goes like this. If I keep the letter of the law, my, as long as my outward actions don't really, no one, you know, as long as I don't do it on the outside, then I've, I'm kind of justified in my own righteousness. If I keep the letter law, you know what? I'm okay. I obey the law. Exodus 20, 14. You shall not commit adultery. And I think we can pat ourselves in the back and say kind of, ah, good for me. Never done one that checked that one off. Put that little righteous mark in our belt. And I think there's people who actually go here. I've never committed adultery. I'm so glad I'm not like those people. And you go, no. Jesus widens it here, folks. And he destroys that kind of thinking. See, just because we technically haven't committed physical adultery, that doesn't guarantee any kind of extra righteousness before God. Do you see how he's going after the hearts of his disciples and the people, and even our hearts as well? But what he does, he raises the bar. Just because we haven't done something physically, he raises it in our hearts. Look at verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the key word is, okay, what's lustful? Now, this understand the translation of that word is, is kind of interesting because that word in itself actually is very neutral. The word is actually used far more often in the positive sense than the negative sense. In the negative is here. But, for example, when Jesus eagerly desired to have that last supper with his disciples, that eagerly desired is the word lustful. Okay, Same word. But in this sense, the longing for another woman or another man, God says, is even sinful, it's out of bounds. It's, it's sin. Now, Jesus is assuming a physical adultery is wrong. But see, he pushes it in, in the sense that what we think what we desire from our hearts can still be sinful, just like adultery. 
even though we've never committed the outward action of it. Do you see where he's pushing his disciples? This is an upside-down living. He wants to change us from the inside out. Let me give you some applications from this text as we walk through it as well. The first one, if you're taking notes there on the bulletin insert, I said this, the roots of sin begin before the external act of sin is even committed. Now hear this, the word lust, you go, okay, how do you deal with that? It's not just wishful thinking, and this is where i got to explain it just a little bit more, but I can go to Best Buy and you see a computer and you go, or maybe you see a new boat and you go, oh, I wish I had that thing, and you go, is that lust? And they go, no, not necessarily. Wishful thinking isn't necessarily that deep desire that Jesus is talking about here. But what Jesus has done, He's put a line somewhere out there that says when you cross over that line, it falls in the category of lust. Catch that. Now, now how do you explain that? I, I think it's like this. When we begin to give our affections, our devotion, our love, to that person or a thing or a pleasure that's robbing something else, it's crossed the line. It's crossed the line. Our devotion going to somewhere that's illegitimate. And it should have been going here, but it's going here. And we do that with people, and we'll even widen it a little bit later. Uh, I worked with a, a pastor from the Twin Cities area. He was a youth pastor. And this gentleman actually had two affairs. And, and his first affair, catch this, was really ministry. He, he worked at the church 24-7, and he was given all his affection to doing ministry, and it should have been going to his wife. That was his first affair. And the second one is all of a sudden because she didn't know what to do with it, their marriage went on the rocks, and then now he began to give his love to another girl. He was robbing the devotion that he was supposed to be given to his wife, and he was giving it over here. See, but here's where we got to get. It starts, and for him it started with a longing in the heart. And the flesh was propelling him, and it propels us to set the stage for sin. And, and the sin just doesn't happen, it creeps in. Just a little bit at a time. And it grows, and all of a sudden there's a flower there of external sin that happens. And it's visible on the outside. Now, if you're a student here, I go, at times you think, well, this is for adults. And I go, no, this is for students in high school and college as well. See, there's a battle in your hearts as to where you're giving your devotion and your love. And, and Jesus understands that no one 
is exempt from going down this path. We all can give our love and devotion to things that hurt the spiritual world and hurt our relational world. Every one of us. See, the kingdom of heaven, though, says this, stop. Examine the longings and the desires within us. That's the hard part. I don't think we want to pause enough to go, what are my desires? What are my longings that are deep within me? Are they illegitimate? As a matter of fact, I, here's the other piece. I think we need to allow people into our lives. Guys, if you're a guy, there's, there's a point where us, I, I think we need to be together far deeper in our friendships and relationships to actually be able to see those longings within us and allow somebody else to challenge us on it. And women the same way. We're, we're called to hold each other accountable in that sense. But the heart subtly changes. And, and, and every, I think every adultery case I've worked with, I, I would say this, it never just happens. The explosion is visible to the world, but there have been sometimes years and years and years of building to that, of sin creeping in to the heart. Now, I, I, I want to go a little farther so you understand, and then maybe it acts as a warning for us. Why do people cross that line toward lust and adultery? And, and I want to give you four reasons why. And these aren't research. This is what I've discovered in having to work with it too often. And the first one for your notes, I said it this way. People cross the line because of the desire to fulfill the whole of loneliness. Somehow, people turn toward other people to meet the deep desire to be loved. Uh, see, see we're, we have a cry in our hearts that says, would someone love me? Would someone make me feel loved? Uh, do you realize how lonely people can feel in a marriage? It happens all the time. And I would say this, if that's you, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. You're not, you haven't crossed the line. But if some, is a, what if a spark, someone pays attention, all of a sudden meets the need of relationship? But let me give you a second one, number two. A little different, subtle, you would think it's the same, but a little more to it. Number two, a deep desire for intimacy. See, we are designed to connect deeply with another person. And it is deeply satisfying to give love to somebody and to receive love from somebody. And when that connection runs deep, it is rich and joyful and it's fun and it's satisfying. And when there isn't intimacy in a marriage, you're vulnerable. Just a spark of something, a connection can take place. And a bit of intimacy happens in another context. And you are being tempted at that point. Now, when I referred to accountability partners earlier, I would say this. Probably the greatest deterrent 
to moving over this cliff is to have an intimate relationship with your spouse. Bar none. You want to want to love your spouse. And that desire overwhelms any other desire. And maybe you need to work on the marriage to keep from getting too close to that cliff. See, see, in in these circumstances, it rarely is the spark of sex that, that moves it over the cliff. So, so the caution, get some work, work on it in some context. But let me give you a third one. A desire for meaning in life. And this one I've seen a couple of times where someone comes along and they value you and they make you feel like a person and they make you feel like you're important and that you're a real man and a real woman. And you understand, if unchecked, it can turn into all of a sudden that deep desire, that lust for a relationship because they're making me feel so good in terms of my manhood or womanhood. And it's so satisfying. And you begin to walk up to the edge of the cliff. If that's you, and your meaning in your life is unfulfilling, can I challenge you this? Have you ever considered working within the kingdom of heaven to fulfill that meaning? And maybe you've tried it and you've backed away, but understand this, Jesus can give us meaning as we work within the kingdom of heaven. It's profoundly satisfying, and that's where we must look. But there's a fourth one. And maybe this is the obvious one that everybody thinks it is. Actually, actually, it's the, the last on the list is what I've found. Number four, a deep desire for sexual pleasure. But here's again, as I've been reading and as I've had to study over the years, even this one is so tied up into the first two. And even when it comes to pornography, you realize that there is a connection between pornography and the issue of intimacy. In the mind, there's a deep longing for intimacy and there's a hole when, when guys and women get addicted to pornography. See, the path, though, out of it and every one of these, there's another element there's a, there's a, where we got to go at times, and it's this. We must continue to build our intimacy with Christ. He must become more attractive. That can overwhelm those urges and those things that, we're go, that pulls us over the edge of the cliff. Let me give you another one. Application here, though. Here's something we've got to remember in all of this as we're talking today. The second application, that God has the right to define what is good when it comes to relationships. See, we have a world that so wants to play God. And they say in the name of love that premarital sex is okay, that living together without marriage is okay, that adultery and lust and fulfilling relational needs outside of marriage is okay, it tells high school students it's okay to hook up, that homosexuality is okay. 
Do you understand? That's the world. And the defaulted where they do exactly what Judges 21-25. Look at this on the screen. In those days there was no king in Israel. And here's the nature of today. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. People are believing exactly what Adam and Eve were tricked into believing. That you can be your own God. It's okay to define what's good and what's evil. You have a right to define what love is and how it should play out in your life. And God says, no. There's only one God. And the only one that gets to decide what is good and which is evil is God. He's the one that decides this is good, this is not good. So if you find yourself at any of these spots really playing God if I cross the line. Here's what I challenge you to do. Please stop and count the cost. But I find within too many Christians, they want to bury their heads in the sand. And rarely do people count the cost before crossing the line and jumping over the cliff. People, It astounds me how we in our flesh can gamble. This isn't about Vegas. This is about our lives. We believe one lie after another, and then all of a sudden, gambling is okay with a whole bunch of things. Boy, this is a sober sermon, isn't it? <laughs> but see, it's at the roots where we got to stop the stuff. When lusting gives birth to the physical sin, the cost is so deep. Think of people willing to gamble in adultery. They're gambling their marriage. They're, they're willing to roll the dice with their children and have a good relationship with their kids. They're willing to gamble on their careers in this area. Again, this pastor that I worked with, he threw everything away in ministry just to believe a lie that for a moment he could have intimacy with a girl that was old enough to be his daughter. See, people gamble their life savings in this. And friendships with others and their family members. And listen to this one. They're gambling with the idea that they're actually starting generational sin. That is going from one, their kids are setting themselves up for potential generations of this sin. And it all comes back to the heart. Where we could have deal with it. Look at Matthew 15, 19. Again, Jesus just goes after this over and over again. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. God wants our hearts. But there's one more last application I need to give you. For your notes, I said it this way. God wants us to respond with radical wisdom. And the response isn't, this isn't, oh, just be careful. No, this is a type of wisdom that when, you, when it actually puts in the play, the world looks at you and goes, huh? You actually did that? Now, a sin is a sin is a sin. But what he's doing here, he, he's inviting them to such a radical response, especially to certain sins. 
And, and I gotta say this, some sin just impacts more than other, other sins. And, and sexual sin is one of them. But look at it, verse 29. Look how, look at how Jesus, his, his next words. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. See, this is a warning to his disciples. But very subtly, I don't know if you can catch or think about it like this, but this is actually, he's telling his disciples, be proactive they haven't done it yet, but this warning of going, take it seriously, guys. Now, he's not saying physically pluck the eye out. He's using exaggeration here because one can pluck the eye out and still lost with the other eye. Jesus knows that. That's why it's, it's a form of exaggeration to drive home a point. And he's saying, don't even go next to that cliff. Or if you've gone over the cliff, do radical things to get back up on top and run the other direction. See, living in the kingdom is about radical responses at times. To get away from the edge. And this applies in the sexual area as well as other areas. Yeah, You know what, I just made it a policy. I don't ever eat lunch with a woman alone. I just can't do it. And when you think of our world as well, there should be no hiding of passwords from email accounts, no hiding of text messages, no hiding in any way in the context of a marriage. It's dangerous. But here's where I got to push this wider. Because in this application, you understand, it goes beyond the sexual world as well. Lust and adultery is about giving our love to that's, that's illegitimate. But let me put another text up on the screen from James chapter 4. Look at what it says. You adulterous people. Now this isn't sexual adultery. Do you know that friendship, what's that? Giving your love and affection to the world with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? What's it saying is when we give our affections to the world, the spirit can actually be jealous because we're giving our best to the world and we're committing a type of spiritual adultery. Let me just apply that a little bit to our lives. When you, when you think of even work, you know, I, I've known some people who've been addicted to work and workaholics. Do you realize that workaholism, they've actually crossed the line of lust? Do we understand that? It's not sexual. There's just, there's, the desires are going somewhere, and oftentimes it might be money. It might be the meaning in life. Work is fulfilling that need for meaning. And, and they put all their energy and time into work. And the leftovers go to family and the marriage. 
Leftovers are given to Christ in the kingdom. See, and the radical response of wisdom might be called for. You know what it might mean here? Selling a business. Finding a different job. That's, that's pulling you back up the cliff and over and running in the other direction of giving your emotions and your affections and all of your best toward what God says is best. It happens in relationships with single people as well. Um, I don't know if I've shared this. I don't think I have, but Andy had to break up with a girl. My son had to break up with a girl. For, she was a wonderful young woman, but it wasn't best for him. And we had a relationship. He'd come back from a missions trip, and I said, Andy, is this one going to... You know you're going into ministry... Is she going to walk with you? And he came to that conclusion of going, no. See, he had to give up something good for what the best. And that's what this passage, this warning is about. Are we willing to give up something good for that which is far better and the best? You think of sports and activities. You understand there's a line that can be crossed there, and it might be crossed if the Holy Spirit or even a spouse or somebody is going, you know what, you're damaging good relationships that you need to spend time with. You're giving leftovers to people, to your wife, to your husband. And man, over the years, you know what, I see just having to work with marriages a lot, I see guys devoting to hunting and fishing thousands of dollars and they won't go on a vacation with their wife because it's too expensive. That's wrong. <laughs> I have to tell you that. That is wrong. And the line might be crossed at that point. See, we, we do, we work, we play. Are we willing to sacrifice for the kingdom? If we never sacrifice for the spiritual world, relationship world, something is wrong. Maybe we are actually trapped in types of lust that we, we have never stopped and thought about. And maybe that we need to hold up a mirror to our lives and go, okay, God, would you reveal to me if there's areas that I need to give up, make radical changes toward even. And I, I believe this, God honors it when we have to gouge an eye out or cut off a hand and we make that kind of a radical shift. I believe God honors it and he goes, I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to help you restore the right relationships that you need to put time into. You know, I, I look back even in my own life and I could use this word that I was addicted to sports when I was younger. Uh, you know what? They were, they were my God, and I really believe I got hurt playing foot in, uh, foot, football at St. Cloud State. I got hurt, only played a couple of years, and I had to quit. And I really look back, I go, God did it intentionally. He wanted to take that stuff away from me. He was getting my attention. Did it take a while to climb back up off the cliff? Yeah. 
but, but see, what does God desire for us? Adultery and lust is giving our affections, our devotion to that which is illegitimate. It might be a woman, it might be a man, it might be this, this, or this. And he says, turn and walk toward me. And, and what I said earlier, the bottom line issue for us starts where we turn and say, okay, God, I will trust you. I'm going to open my hands to you. And would you give me new desires? See, that's where it has to begin. Where we bow on our knees and we say, God, give me new desires. God, would you fill me with intimacy with you? Yeah, my husband, my wife won't give it to me, but guess what? You can provide to meet that need. And God, would you reveal your presence? Would you give me meaning in life? When our jobs, when our things that we do, do we don't have meaning, God can give it to us. And he wants to give it to us. But for us, we have to just stop and go, where is our heart? Where, what are we giving our best to? Is it legitimate or illegitimate? Do you see the radicalness, though, of God's living an upside-down kingdom world here? We do these things, and the, the people, people look at you and go, huh, you sold the business? You did this? And you go, God, Christ was in it. But let's stand I want to pray and then I invite you if you want to respond and have somebody pray for you or with you, I'd invite you to do that. Let me just pray. 